Welcome to our sermon. I am Pastor Nathan Escarga, and I am sure that God will speak to you through his word today. This is actually the second year in a row where uh, I've been asked by Pastor Dave to speak on a Good Friday, which is really exciting, but I'll be honest, uh, I, I always revel the opportunity to, to teach on, on different subjects and, and uh, in different styles. Uh, but every time, or, or I guess both times, Pastor Dave has asked me to, to preach on Good Friday. It's a little bit like getting called up to the big leagues, right? I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I, I get to speak every so often. I get my, my opportunities, but then Good Friday. It's not that there's any added pressure. It's not that I, I have to come up here and perform any uh, sort of, I, I don't have to, to perform any better, uh, but I, I say that it's kind of like getting called up to the big leagues because when I reflect on what Good Friday means to me, I know I want to do justice to a moment that I think of really often. I often say that this moment where uh, a man in ancient Israel hung upon a cross 2,000 years ago was the most important moment in all of history. In fact, it was so important that every other moment throughout all of history will be looked at through the lens of what that man was doing. We will look at our lives through that lens. And we will all give an account because of it. That is how significant Good Friday really is to me. And that is why I live my whole life in reflection of what Jesus did for me and, and why uh, you do the same. So when we all turn and we look at the cross behind me, we know that it was good. It was more than good. It was everything. And so as I began prepping for this year's sermon, uh, I spent a short time uh, just reflecting on what I spoke about last year. Uh, I thought I would look to, to last year's uh, sermon. And, and in my message last Good Friday, uh, what I tried to do was I tried to illustrate uh, the walk that Jesus took to the cross, the path. The significance of how Jesus' entire life and his entire ministry was actually one long path uh, that led him walking from city to city, and wherever he went, he would bring the kingdom of heaven on earth with him. And as he walked, many would follow, from disciples to the sick and the lame looking for healing, all the way to the people who were outside the city of Jerusalem, who rejoiced and praised on Palm Sunday, that was this, this past Sunday, because they were, and they were rejoicing because their Messiah had come. He was riding into the city on a donkey like it was prophesied, and they knew he was coming to deliver them. And people flocked to Jesus through his entire life, his entire path to Jerusalem, right up until Palm Sunday, outside the city gates and into the, the streets of Jerusalem, and so I talked last year about how that triumphant entry, how the people worshipped and laid down palms uh, because uh, they, they knew their Messiah was coming. But then in that, that same city, in those same streets, not a week later, Jesus would walk with a cross upon his back, being scorned and mocked by those who praised him days earlier. I finished my sermon by talking about the weight of that path the weight of the cross, and how Jesus was crucified in our stead. This triumphant journey to Jerusalem culminates in a complete subversion of all of our expectations, a life that was so beautiful, so glorious, so full of miracles, 
ended with him upon a cross, and it was not what anyone was expecting. As Jesus, their so-called Messiah, hung on, a savior, uh, hung on a cross, battered, bruised, bloodied, bested by death, as he perished, he cried out these words, it is finished. Those were his last words. That's what I finished my sermon with last year, the verse in John 19, 28 to 30, which says, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And now a vessel of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a hyssop and put it to his mouth, so that when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The sermon I preached last year was entitled, God's complete story. And I titled it that because Jesus said so. When he said it is finished, he, what he meant was the story's over, right? God's story is now complete in me. As Jesus perished on the cross, every work he accomplished, every step on that glorious path to Jerusalem, his life's undertaking was finished. And he said exactly that it is finished. This phrase, at least in, in translation, is, is kind of ambiguous. Obviously, it is finished uh, in that Jesus is now at the end of his life. His suffering has ended. But how do we take that? When we reach the end of this chapter, the light of men has been plunged into darkness. The life of the world has fallen down into the depths of death. What had given men hope is now gone, and it seems as, the, as if there's nothing left but to despair. Had the hope of the world come to an end? Had the sin of men triumphed after all? Was death about to have the last laugh? And so when you hear those words, it is finished, there's a temptation to think that, like the Jewish people, what they thought. This man who was supposed to deliver us, who was supposed to be the Messiah, a new Moses, a new King David, he was supposed to deliver us from out of captivity and establish for us a kingdom forever. And here he hangs on a cross, suffering with no power to take himself off the cross. That's how they mocked him. In Matthew 27, 40 to 41, it says, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, scribes, and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. And so he hung on that cross, battered, bruised, bleeding. And to the Jewish onlookers on that, uh, looking upon him on that cross, he was bested by death, a failed messiah. The words that he spoke with his last breath, it is finished, brought very little comfort to those Jews. It brought little comfort to the disciples, his dearest friends, who had abandoned him to die there alone. There was no consoling in the words, it is finished, to those who looked at their failed king, while even he, after he died, they remained in captivity, no closer to freedom. They thought, that, they thought he was bringing deliverance with him. They thought freedom is coming. The Messiah has come. 
And here he hangs on a cross saying, it's finished. I still have my bounds. I still have my captors. They're still here. I'm no closer to freedom. The words it is finished appear to be just that, a failure and an unaccomplished end to a storied life. But as, as I explained last year, and if you haven't listened to the sermon from last year, go, go back and listen to it. Jesus came to do so much more than establish an earthly kingdom. He desired to subvert every single expectation. He came to carve a way to eternity. He came to build a heavenly kingdom on this side of eternity and the next. For each of those who would believe on him, they may be citizens of that heaven, of, of that kingdom on, of heaven, here on earth and on the next side of eternity. And when Jesus said, it is finished, it was only just the beginning. You see that phrase when we write it out, it is finished, to us, as English speakers, it sounds final, jarring, a complete stop to whatever was in discussion. For instance, if, if somebody was to ask me, they, they know I'm watching a movie and they ask me how the movie's going and if I were to say, well, actually, it's finished, one would presume that that movie's an afterthought. It's ceasing to be. And unlike a movie, when people in the world hear the phrase, it is finished, in regards to somebody's last words, they assume a final, conclusive death. But this is different to the true final words that Jesus was speaking. And I know every time I do a word study, everybody in the audience gets really excited. I know I can see the looks on your faces. You guys are like, oh, another word study. Let's go. Come on. Because we, we know there's so much meaning that can be found in language. We all collectively agree upon that, uh, especially in the language of the holy word of God. But I want you guys to get really excited for this one because I, I was just saying to Miss Betty before uh, service, this is probably my favorite word study I've ever done. You see, the final words that Jesus spoke were so much more beautiful, so much more profound. They were the most glorious words ever spoken in the course of eternity for you and I. And I mean it when I say these last words of Jesus brought me to tears when I studied them. As I really began to delve deeply into what those words mean. You see, in the Greek, Jesus didn't simply say, it is finished. He exclaimed, Telestai, which comes from the root word telos, which in the Greek means to complete, to accomplish, to fulfill, or to finish. In fact, one scholar that I was looking at notes that the word telos, especially in the Greek, meant to arrive at perfection. Wow. You see, there's so many nuances to the word, and, and I... I I know I do a lot of word studies, but this, this is just about the entire sermon, is looking at what those words mean. Because there's so many nuances. In fact, four of them have great significance to us as believers in defining that moment in Christ's suffering when he said these three words, it is finished, telestai. You see, when Jesus shouted, telestai, this was Jesus' exclamation. This is the first meaning. His exclamation that he had finished the work his father had sent him to do. The work having been completely, or fully completed, Jesus bowed his head and died. You see, it was customary in ancient Egypt that when a servant was sent out on a mission, 
and then they would later return to their master, they would say this phrase, telestai, which meant, I have done exactly as you have requested. The mission you sent me out on is now accomplished. And in that moment, when Jesus cried out, he exclaimed, he wasn't just saying it. He didn't murmur it under his breath. He shouted, he exclaimed, it is finished. And he was exclaiming to the entire universe, to all who would hear and, and come to hear it in generations to come. He had faithfully fulfilled the Father's will. And the mission that he was sent on is now accomplished. No wonder Jesus shouted for joy. No wonder sh Jesus shouted in when he said this. His death on the cross was no failure. No. No, he exclaimed with the strength, remain, every ounce of strength remaining in his body. I think it's really interesting the way it's written. It says that after he said this, he, he hung his head and died. It's as though he used every ounce of strength left in, inside of him to shout this because that's how important it was. This was the greatest victory in the history of the human race and he was exclaiming for joy because it had been accomplished. He had fulfilled his assignment even in the face of unfathomable challenges. When we look at the cross, we, we see wood. When the, when the onlookers saw Jesus, they saw blood. They saw a man who had been battered, bruised, his ribs were showing. He, he was starved as much as he suffered. And yet this is victory in the face of unfathomable challenges. For now the fight was over and Jesus could cry out to the Father, I have done exactly what you asked me to do. And what was that mission, you ask? Well, that brings me to my second point. You see, the word telestai was also the equivalent of the Hebrew word spoken by the high priest when they presented a sacrificial lamb without spot or blemish. They would say a word in Hebrew that was equivalent to it is finished. Annually, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies. And when he poured out the blood of these perfect, spotless, sacrificial lambs on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, in that moment, when the, the blood touched the mercy seat, atonement was made for people's sins one more year. But when Jesus was hanging on that cross, and he said that same phrase, when he took that place of the high priest, he was both the lamb and the high priest. In that holy moment, our great high priest, the one who was greater than any high priest before, Jesus offered his blood for the permanent, permanent removal of sin. He offered up the sacrifice of which every mosaic sacrifice was a type and symbol. And in that instant, there remained no more need for an offering for our sin. Jesus entered the holy place and offered his own blood, a sacrifice that God never again would require the blood of lambs for the forgiveness of our sins. As Hebrews 9.12 says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into the once he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Thus when Jesus said, tell us die, when he said, it is finished, he was declaring the end of sacrifice, for he was the ultimate sacrifice, and it had finally been accomplished. It was finished. Atonement was completed, perfected, and fully accomplished. It was done once and for all, finished forever. 
leading me to the third phrase. Because Jesus didn't come only as the Savior of the Jews. He didn't only come as the new Moses for, for this, this perfect sacrifice, but he came to be the Savior of the world. And so this phrase, telestai, was not only a Hebrew equivalent for, for the words spoken by the high priest, but it was also commonly used in a secular sense in the Greek world. To many non-Jewish people, that word telestai was used very commonly in business to signify the full payment of a debt. You see, when a debt in ancient uh, Greece uh, had been fully paid off, the parchment upon which they had written their debt would be stamped with a one-word phrase, telestai. The debt's paid in full. This means once a person calls upon Jesus, once they say, be Lord of my life, and they personally accept his sacrifice, no debt of sin exists for that person any longer. It's paid in full. It is finished. The words, it is finished for us, are a spiritually, legally binding stamp upon our own lives. And when I say spiritually binding, what I mean is death has no claim on you. Sin has no claim on you. The enemy does not have a claim upon you. That when you call upon the name of Jesus, when you say, your sacrifice was for me, the enemy must flee. The debt's been paid in full for you. We no longer belong to this world. We no longer belong to the debts of our own sin. The enemy has no claim to us. We've been paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. When he said, tell us die, he was saying, the debt is wiped out. Because Jesus paid for that, that, paid the price for sin that no sinner could ever repay. Do you know that? No amount of your own good works will ever pay for your sin. Jesus already did it. He took care of it. Stop trying so hard to be perfect. Stop thinking that the, the, there are people around you judging you for what you're doing. Jesus took care of it. Look to him. He paid the debt of sin that we owed. When we read Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. That's our, that's our debt. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when by faith we repent and receive him as our Lord, we're set free. This is why Paul wrote of Jesus and his sacrifice in Colossians 1.14. It says, Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus uttered those words, telestai, it is finished. It was his declaration that the debt was fully satisfied, fulfilled, complete. His blood utterly and completely cleansed you forever. It's far-reaching. It's all-embracing. It is for each and every single one, not just you, but your neighbor, your, your brother, your sister who does not believe in Jesus. His payment is for them, and the moment that they accept, the moment they receive it, they will be saved. And there might be people in here who, who have not received uh, their salvation. It is a beautiful gift. It is freedom. There's a fourth meaning. You see what so many of Jesus' dejected followers uh, believed they were hearing? Even the disciples. 
It says in, in, in Matthew that after Jesus' death, the disciples were so dejected, some of them. They left. They left from Jerusalem, and they, where did they go? They went back to Galilee. They went back to their fishing boats. They had seen the Messiah walk the earth, perform every miracle that he could have performed. They, they saw uh, unspeakable, miraculous works. And where did they go? The old man, back to the life they knew, their fishing boats in Galilee. But in his return, he made it abundantly clear to his followers, his believers, that when he said it was finished, Jesus wasn't talking about his life. He was talking about sin. It's done. When he said it is finished, he wasn't talking about his life. He was talking about eternal separation from God. When he said, it is finished, when he said, Telestai, Jesus knowingly was subverting the expectations of every one of his followers, every one of these Jewish people who welcomed him at the gates of Jerusalem, saying, he's coming to save us, he's coming to deliver us. He knowingly subverted every expectation, not only of those Jewish people, but of death itself, of the enemy. You see, Satan thought he had won. He thought in that moment when he saw Jesus hanging upon that cross that he had won. He had conquered Jesus, that, that death had, had uh, struck him down. He thought he had victory. When, C when Satan looked upon that cross, he thought, I conquered Jesus. But in that moment, what Satan didn't realize is unknowingly he had fulfilled the prophecy spoken forth by God himself in the beginning. In Genesis 3.15, God recognized that day that when, when we had fallen, already he began to realize, I'm going to have to redeem these people. And so he prophesied to that enemy, the one who, who deceived us in the garden. I'm going to have to overcome. I will undo every evil wrought by you, Satan. And he said, in Genesis 3.15, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. When Jesus said, tell us die, he was saying, that prophecy is finished. It's accomplished. That thing that Jesus said, or that God said in the beginning, I have fulfilled it. What that means, you will strike his heel and he will uh, crush your head. It's referring to Satan and Jesus. You see, in that moment that that Satan thought he had victory, that he had struck him down, where did he strike him? Both hands and the heel. The heel of his feet nailed to a cross. And in, in many ways, when you strike somebody in the heel, they fall. And what did Jesus do after he fell? He rose again. He rose again. Hallelujah. And did he ever. He rose again in three days. Satan thought he had a blow that was fatal. But what he didn't realize is, is the blow to him was fatal. Because he wasn't just trying to defeat Jesus. He was trying to defeat you. He was trying to defeat me. He was trying to defeat humanity. But when Jesus died on the cross, he killed death for us. He brought eternity for us. That's a fatal blow to Satan. 
The, Satan, the serpent's days with claims over you and I are now finished. That's what Jesus is saying. It is finished. That day where he had a hold on you. I'm going to show a video now that the tech team has queued up on, about this very theme. Death believing that Jesus was defeated, but Jesus subverting every single expectation in his resurrection, even the expectation of the enemy and death itself. Jesus, who do you think you are? You came riding into town. You claimed to be God. The people lined the streets and shouted, Hosanna! Oh, it looked like they loved you. But they didn't. They did not love you. They did not heed your words. They were not your friends. They were your enemies. And before the week had even ended, they crucified you. Here you are, nailed on a cross, naked and weak. Of course, the only reason I'm here is because I know what you're really up to. You are paying for something. You have been crowned with guilt, the shame of all the people you love. The mistakes of every person, that nagging selfishness that emerges from the womb like a cancer that never stops growing, the cheating, the backstabbing, the despicable things they wish upon others, all the secrets kept under wraps, kept behind closed doors. I can see you pushing with your feet, trying to breathe underneath the weight of it all, all the petty anger and pridefulness the blatant disregard for others, the lack of compassion, the insistence of entitlement, the material obsessions, the unspeakable amounts of money they spend on looking good while their fellow humans are starving. What does it feel like knowing that all of this is on you now? Every divorce, every abandonment, every deadbeat dad, every gunshot, every kid lying dead in the street, the men who kidnap girls and sell their dignity for a few dollars, all the insecure rage and outbursts, the I hate you, the I'll do what I want, the pornographic addictions, the jealousy, the idols, the celebration of vanity, the constant pursuit of look at me, look at me, look at me. Well, now we're looking at you. And all I can see is a world drowning in sin and suffering. I realize these were not your doing. Nonetheless, I'm happy for you to be taking the blame. Humanity has done a fine job with this, but I'll take it from here. Before we're done, I just have to ask, what kind of person claims he can forgive the whole world? Who do you think you are? Sincerely, death. Dear 
death. I got your letter. My apologies for it taking a few days to write back. I had some important work to finish. I know you weren't expecting me to reply, but I'm always eager to provide the answer to a good question. Who do I think I am? I'll tell you who I am. I am the eternity before history. I am the potter who spun the galaxies. I am the spirit over the deep and the one who tells mountains to migrate. I am the cloud of day, the fire of night. I am the co-conspirator behind the scandal of grace. I am the keeper of the books. I am well aware of the debts that line the pages of every generation, and today I am stamping each and every one of them paid in full. Who do I think I am? I'll tell you. I am the just and furious wrath that makes hell look like a campfire. And I am the towering wave of mercy that can quench its thirsty flame. I am the billowing storm of love that sits on every horizon. And my goodness rains down on both the wicked and the righteous. I am the redeemer of wasted years. I am the welcome home to every prodigal son. I am the voice in the ear of every young girl whispering, I created you, and you were created beautiful. I am faithful even to the faithless. My name is salvation. My name is power, even power over you. Do you really want to know who I am? I am the foot on your head. I am the spear in your side. I am the one author of this story. I am the one holding the pen, and I will block you out with a single stroke of my hand. I will have the last word because I am the word. And death, I am here to give you a word. On Friday, you weren't attending my funeral. You were attending yours. The nails in my hand will be the ones in your coffin. And just to be clear, I was not a victim of human plans and I was certainly never a slave to you. I am the victor. I am the master. I am the one who sets the captives free. And not only have I broken your grip on me, but I will pry your fingers from all who call my name. You are done. You are powerless. Your work is null and void. Pack up your bags. Go and tell your friends. It is finished. And in case you're still wondering, who do I think I am? I'll tell you who. I am. Sincerely, Jesus. The title of that video uh, is An Unexpected Letter. Uh, and, and with this way that Jesus subverted every expectation, I think another fitting title would be an unexpected victory.
You see, in the video I just showed, death says something really interesting. He realizes something's wrong. He says he knows that Jesus is paying for something. What did Jesus die to pay the price for? Every sin, every sickness, every failure, every shortcoming, every addiction, every past hurt, whatever it is that you are suffering with to this day, not just the day that you accept him as your Lord and Savior and he saves you from your sin, every day you go to him and you say, I need deliverance from my sickness. I need deliverance from my addiction. I need deliverance from this past hurt. And what does he say to your sin? It is finished. What does he say to your sickness? It is finished. Your failures, finished. Every shortcoming, finished. Every addiction, every hurt, every single ploy of the enemy to overcome you, they're finished. See, before Jesus, before his death, there was a veil in the temple that signified that we must remain separate from God. Whoever would pass that veil uh, to make atonement for sin, uh, if they were not holy, if they were not righteous, they'd be struck dead. And so in that way, we were separated from God. But on the moment that Jesus died and shouted out, it is finished, the veil tore. And what did that signify? There's now a way to enter into relationship with God. We can now enter into his presence. We can now be with God because Jesus made the way. And what does it require? What does it cost? Something that I could never pay for. What does it cost? All you have to do is accept this free gift. And so in a moment, we're going to be doing uh, communion. Pastor Dave is going to lead us in communion. But before that, I wanted to provide an opportunity for any of you who are ready to make that decision, uh, whether you're here with us in person or if you're watching online. You have an opportunity now to accept that free gift, to accept salvation, and all it requires is that you pray along with me. And so those of you who have uh, been a believer for, for a long time, I, I just ask that you would also pray out loud so that whoever it is that, that needs to make that profession feels comfortable to do so. So bow your heads and pray after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I am a sinner. I believe Jesus was my substitute when he died on the cross. I believe his shed blood, death, and resurrection were for me. I now receive him as my savior. I thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. The gift of salvation and everlasting life. Help me in committing that from this day forth, I may lead a life that honors you and make you Lord of my life. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the sermon. We really hope that God spoke to your life. You can find more of the Word of God by watching our service live stream and listening to our podcast on our website, lighthouseniagara.com.